Hey, what's up? This is Jason from Centerpoint Church in Hendersonville, Tennessee. We're so excited to spend some time with you today. We hope that this message inspires you and makes you continue living life on purpose and for a purpose. Let's jump right into the message. I want to welcome you if you're watching online. We're so thankful that you're here. It's already been a great weekend for our church, and it's about to get better, at least in my humble opinion, because we're about to study the Word of God. We're starting a brand new collection of talks today called Welcome to the Fabulous Corinth. And, and some series, some collections is topical. Some are kind of inspirational. Some are what it can be applicable to your life. And then sometimes there's just a good old series where we just dissect Scripture. And that's what we're going to do over the course of the next five weeks. So this week, next week, and then Memorial Day weekend, I'm excited because I've got three men in the church that are going to be bringing a message for 10 minutes each. It's going to be fantastic, at least I think. And so you want to be here on Memorial Day for that. Plus, plus, I think we're going to have free hot dogs because we have some leftovers. So a hot dog, and then you get to listen to some men preach the Word of God. Then we'll be wrapping up this collection. So it's going to be a four-week series within the next five weeks. Here's what I encourage you to do, is I encourage you to be students of the Word of God. And so I encourage you, if you have a Bible, bring it. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians, so look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then Acts, Romans, and then we're here after all of that into 1 Corinthians. And so it just kind of shows you. Or you can do what I do. I was, I was just telling someone this in the lobby for the, the weird parts of the Old Testament where you're like, I have no idea where that is. Just use the front of your book and find out like where the page, it tells you the exact page number. But we're also going to have it up on the screen. But I encourage you to be students and note takers. That's what we're going to be doing over this time. When you read the New Testament, it's really easy to have all the letters of Paul kind of get mixed in together. Like really like, okay, what's the difference between this one and that one and this one? And so we're going to be really breaking down first and second Corinthians. One of my favorite pastors, he, he calls it actually first and second Californians because it kind of gives you an idea. I can say that. That's from my home state. Is, is that that kind of gives you an idea of what we were looking at in the city of Corinth. And so I want you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you're there, to 1 Corinthians. And we'll be talking about 2 Corinthians in a couple of weeks. But you got to understand, before we can get into the Word of God, you've got to understand what the history behind it is. If like, if you're a history guy, then this series is totally going to be your jam because we're going to be breaking down a ton of this. So first of all, Corinth went by the old adage of real estate. Location, 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 location. That describes Corinth. So you have to understand what the city is, what the people were like, before you can understand what Paul's letter to them has anything to do with. Otherwise, it's going to get mixed in with Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians. And so I see you looking behind me at the screen. So I'm guessing you've already cheated and put the map up behind me. Is that, is that correct? Because I know you're not looking at my hair, though it's a great hair day, let's be honest. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Right, Gerald? Good hair doesn't take a day off. But I digress. Jason, see what you did? You cheated. All right, look at this map. Now, this is actually modern-day Greece, and I want you to look at the spot that is right by where Corinth is. This is that vocabulary word that you learned in third or fourth grade. You had to memorize how to spell it and its definition, and you never used it again in the rest of your life. 
It's an isthmus. Everybody say that three times fast. So that's where this is. That little isthmus right there in between those two islands or pieces of uh, land is three and a half miles wide. Now, if you look to, to have a ship and to sail it to the other side, you had to go way south around all of those islands to get over to the other side of the Aegean Sea. And so that was a dangerous, dangerous route. In fact, sailors at that time had this saying. So this was actually called the Cape of Malaya. And they said, if you have to go the Cape of Malaya, say goodbye to your home or forget your children because the odds of you surviving that are small. So the people of Corinth, keep in mind, this is around AD 40. So, so Jesus was... His earthly ministry was approximately AD 30 to AD 33, so we're just a little bit after that. These guys designed this system that's pretty amazing. Like, I have a hard time just figuring out my cell phone. These guys back then created this idea and this contraption that you could actually take your boat and float it in between those two islands. They're not really islands, but you get it. And they would be able to take your boat and put it up on wheels and actually bring it the three and a half miles across the, the what? You have to say it three times. Go. Yes. If you say it three times fast, an isthmus ghost is going to appear. It's like, it's like Bloody Mary, or like uh, I read something recently that said if you're in Tennessee and you look at an empty field and say Dollar General three times, one will appear. <laughs> it's so true. You're like, wow, that's a random piece of land. You ever seen a Dollar General go out of business? No, you haven't. It's like a Taco Bell. Build it, the people will come. Oh, you, you applaud for Taco Bell, but not my sermon. I think that was my wife, too. What in the world? So, they created this system to put a boat on wheels and bring it across, which was brilliant because now what it did is it created a bullseye for the city of Corinth. So, if you're traveling east to west, if you're traveling north to south, you're going to go through Corinth. So, there's a couple of different categories that I want to tell you about. I encourage you to write this down. The first one is we're going to talk about Corinth socially. Corinth socially. Now, you've got to understand, because of all of the travel, because everyone's coming and going, this was a place that was much like California. It was trendy. There was, there was, uh, it was kind of a cool place. They're the ones that set the vibe for the area. And so because it was trendy... They were very fashion forward. Not only that, but like anytime you have an area that is growing that men can come into for travel, it always brings things that your flesh desires. So I want you to think about like Las Vegas, LA, Chicago, New York City, University of Alabama, all of those terrible places rolled into one. That's for you. Rolled into one. And that's what it is. Like what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, right? And so with all of, it was an economic powerhouse, lots of just innovation there. So that's the good side. But anytime you have that, there's always this kind of underbelly of sinister sexual sin. And that was no different than in Corinth. In fact, when you're in Corinth, We've been to the Holy Land. Up behind it is this hill. It's still there. And up on top of the hill was this thing called the Acrocorinth. And on the Acrocorinth, write that down, this is important, was a temple of Aphrodite. And there were a thousand priestesses that lived at that temple. 
And how did they raise money for that temple? It's the oldest profession. Every single night, you would have a thousand priests come down the hill, and that's how they would make their money. They were professional prostitutes. And so anything that you wanted to indulge in was right there for the taking. In fact, there was a saying amongst the sailors as well that said, not every man can afford a trip to Corinth. And so you have all of this influx of people coming in and out of the city. You have all of the, you have, you have sex trafficking, you have prostitution, lots of rape going on. It just had all kinds of different terrible revelries that you can engage in if your flesh desired. And so because of that, the second one was Corinth ethically. Let's talk about Corinth ethically. Again, we're just setting the foundation right now of what we're going to be studying over the next couple of weeks together. So we understand it socially. Cool place, trendy, you do what you want to do, we're here to change the world. The next one is ethically. Because of the influx of people, ethics were pretty low. But it wasn't all just for their sexual appetite. They really, really put a high value on eloquent speakers. So if you could argue well, they called it philosophy. It was really just guys sitting around showing off how smart they are. But if you were eloquent, if you were a a, a silver-tongued orator, you could actually move your way up the ranks. That's what was really looked at like almost little celebrities. And some of them were even within the church. And we still kind of do this in the church. And I'm guilty of it too, is these Christian celebrities or celebrities, celebrities. <laughs> Thank you, Adam, for that. And, and, and so they're, they're falling into this. And so you have this city with moral decay, economic increase. And Paul says, I need a church right there because the church is supposed to influence the area. But what the church of Corinth is going to experience is they're going to experience very similar situation to what the current church is experiencing, which is instead of us influencing the culture around us and the city around us, we are being influenced by the city. And so before all of that, Paul establishes a church there. He actually spends 18 months in the city of Corinth planting this church, which is the second longest he ever spent in one city when he was on his missionary journeys. So the other thing that I need us to understand before we dive into the scripture, we're getting close, is this, is that actually, I'm going to let you in on a little secret, all right? This is kind of insider trading amongst us preachers. 1 Corinthians is actually not the first letter to Corinth. So 1 Corinthians is actually 2 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians is actually 3 Corinthians. What happened to the first letter? We don't know. But what happens is, is that Paul gives us a little insight that this is actually the second time I'm writing you. So 1 Corinthians is really about correction. It's saying, hey, I, I planted this church, I left you all there, and, and you're not doing what I told you to do, so let me correct you. You've also got a house of Chloe that has obviously reached out to him. And he's telling them, like, I'm answering all of your questions. Thank you for letting me know. It's, it's, it's the equivalent of when your kids go off into the other room and they have friends over visiting, and it's really quiet. Now, they're not sitting around memorizing the books of the Bible in order in that room. 
you're about to walk into a mess. <laughs> and it's the equivalent of that where Paul's like, we, we, we need to address some stuff here because, because this, is, this is bothering me. Here we are, 1 Corinthians 5.9. This is going to give us, this is what we're going to use just to kind of give us an insight that 1 Corinthians is actually the second letter. And here it is. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. So that line right there, and there's a few other ones in Scripture that give us an indication that Paul is saying, hey, I've, I've written you one other time, and now here's the second time. So that kind of proves what we're, we're talking about. So 1 Corinthians is a correction, and 2 Corinthians is actually a really cool book. We're not going to be studying that until after Memorial Day. But, but 2 Corinthians is cool because it's actually Paul's personal journal. It gives you a glimpse into his heart because his character is attacked, and then also he's addressing false teachers, people that come up that disguise doctrine, and they really just kind of do what their itching ears want to hear. That's what they promote. And the same thing is happening in the church today. You see, the world is telling you, oh, you see this book right here? Like, it's a little outdated. Or you see the things that are in here? Like, that was for a long time ago. We now are enlightened. We now have, have moved on past that. Oh, this is an old archaic book. Or they pick and choose different pieces of the book that they like, and then they take whatever their flesh desires and they incorporated here. It was the same thing going on. The subtitle of this message, so welcome to the fabulous Corinth, is a box of chocolates. Now, I know what your brain is thinking when you hear that phrase. I know. You're thinking Forrest Gump. Can anybody do a good Forrest Gump impersonation? Can he? Heather, why are you pointing at Matt? Matt, you want to come up here on the microphone and do a Forrest Gump? No, good, because that was rhetorical. I really didn't want you to either. <laughs> why do I call it a box of chocolates? Here's why. Because when you walk into the doors of the church of Corinth, you never know what you're... I find this really interesting. They have all kinds of issues within the church. So now we've established what the city looks like around it. But now I want to be laser-focused in the church of Corinth. They had all kinds of issues all kinds. We've obviously got sexual debauchery going on. We got a guy who's hooking up with his stepmom. And not only is that happening, but the church is applauding it under the guise of being tolerant. Jesus never told us to be tolerant. Jesus told us to love. They've got Christians suing other Christians. So we got litigation going on in the church. We've got false doctrine. We got people that are saying the resurrection isn't real. It never happened. We've got all kinds of issues. But I want you to hear what Paul says, because this is the opposite of what we tell ourselves sometimes, because this was never a, a, an issue of salvation. Listen to this. First Corinthians 1, 2 through 3. So how he starts it off to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with those everywhere who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord and ours, grace and peace with you from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So right off the bat, he says, you guys are really messed up, but you're still children of God. To the brothers and sisters, he says that you are sanctified, that you are holy, that you are set apart. Sanctified is really fancy term for like, you have paper plates, and then when your important guests come over, you go get the fancy plates. That's what it means to be set apart. Jesus is saying, we're the fancy plates, but you're walking around treating yourself as if you're just the paper plates. 
and not even like the name brand paper plates, but the ones that are cheap, you know, the ones that I buy for this church because we're on a budget. So Paul's writing this around A.D. 53 or 54. Historians can lock it down then. A.D. 53 or 54 is 1 Corinthians. So we're going to be really laser focused on this. So remember all of the different issues that Paul is dealing with. They're big ones. Big issues. But I want you to see what Paul is most concerned about. We're going to be going through two of the issues today, and that's it. We'll pick up the rest next week. Two issues. Issue number one, write this down. A lack of unity. Whoa, 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 whoa. You got sexual sin. You got people stealing money. You got people suing each other. You got false doctrine being preached. And what's the first thing that Paul's concerned about? Unity amongst brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. Wait. You mean you're not concerned about the sexual sin first? He doesn't even get to that till chapter 5 or 6. He's like, we'll get to that. What I'm most worried about is the disunity amongst people who call themselves brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because his primary concern in all of Paul's writings is, what does our witness look like to the community? Because we're going to lose our witness. If someone comes into church for the first time and you and I are arguing and backbiting and gossiping and suing each other, they're not going to come back. Why would they? I just find it very interesting. Unity was also incredibly important to our Messiah. One of the last prayers he prayed was for us, that we may be one. He says, just as you and I, meaning him and the Father, are one. Oh, unity is important, and I want to talk about this for a little bit. But first of all, let me let the Word of God set the table for it. We're still in chapter 1, verse 10. This is Paul writing to the brothers and sisters in the church of Corinth. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What? That all of you agree with one another in what you say so that there will be no divisions among you, but that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, whenever you see that in Scripture, he's talking to men and women that are believers, the saints, following the way. Some come from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. Another one says, I follow Cephas, which is Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. And then he says this, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? He's talking about himself in the third person, which is really gangster. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? See, there's three different major sections going on right now within the church of Corinth, and some are following Paul, some are following Apollos, and Apollos was a really eloquent speaker, trained in classical Greek, like he's the guy that you're like, dang, that guy, he needs to be an attorney on a TV show, because this guy can talk. And then some are following Peter, you know, the blue collar, hard worker, loves Jesus, but listen, he'll also cut a guy's ear off if he has to. Like Some are following him, and then some are saying, no, no, I don't follow any of them. I'm just following Jesus. One time, this isn't even in my notes. You're welcome for this. I asked a girl out in college. She told me she was dating Jesus. I would rather you just tell me I'm ugly or you're not interested. Don't patronize me by telling me you're dating Jesus. Because two weeks later, when the dude on the, you know, on the, the soccer team that had bigger quads than I have came over, all of a sudden you and Jesus broke up because you were with that guy. You're welcome for that. But what he's saying is this. He's saying like, 
You guys are getting distracted. You're majoring on minors and minoring on majors. You follow Apollos? And I love what he says. He reminds them of this. 1 Corinthians 1, still in 1, verse 27. He reminds them, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. You see, the kingdom of heaven is an upside-down kingdom. So this is Paul's way of saying, if you're going to brag about which man you follow, let me remind you that God chooses the foolish things of the earth. So like, we're slaves to the gospel. You won't see a slave bragging about their rights and about their possessions. That's what we are. And so even like, you know, for, for people who do preach, it's like God reminding them, hey, I chose you because you were the least likely candidate to do anything. Why? Because then God gets the glory. So if you've done something to mess your life up, you made a lot of mistakes, you're not very talented, no one really thinks you're anything great, you don't have a blue check next to your socials, great. You're the exact man or woman that God wants to use. And so to brag about anything being used by God is to brag about being the least likely candidate ever that God wanted to use, to being the biggest fool of them all because that's who God wants to use. I want you to imagine this. Let me put this for you in football terms. The kingdom of heaven is different because God is the coach of the football team and he's looking around for the worst possible person that could ever play quarterback. He doesn't want you if you're athletic, charming, smart. He's like, hey, I'm going to pick the wimpiest, least likely guy. Yeah, you. Yeah, you. You're going to be my quarterback. Why? Because when we go undefeated, I know that no one will think it's because of the quarterback. They'll think it's because of the coach. That's how the kingdom of heaven works. And so Paul's reminding them, like, hey, you can brag about loving Apollos, but just remember Apollos was chosen because he's the biggest fool of them all. And so he just wanted to sit right off the bat be like, dude, y'all are being divided over which human being you're following. I'm going to let you in on a secret. You have just as much access to the Holy Spirit as Jason Bod does. So don't you for a sec, like, I love praying for people as part of my job, as part of my calling, but I think it's funny when people say, hey, would you pray for my brother? And I'm like, cool, are you praying? And they're like, no, but I asked you because you're a preacher. And I'm like, dude, I'm not any closer to God than you. Let me pray with you. And I know it's a joke, but like, I don't have the bat phone that I pick up and it just goes straight to God, you know? Like, I don't have that any more than you do. So issue number one, the second and last issue that we're going to talk about today, and we'll spend a little bit of time on this, is a lack of maturity, a lack of spiritual maturity. So the first one is a lack of unity, and the second one is a lack of maturity, and this goes together. Now, I want to show you something. If you have a camera, this is probably the time you're going to want to take this picture, because I'm about to look real stupid. Some of you are like, what's new? I want you to imagine for a moment now, my wife and I just had a baby. Now, I'm praying against that, but, but let's just imagine that for a moment. You come over my house for dinner, and you're like, oh, look at that little baby. It's so cute. And it comes out wearing a diaper, right? And it should. It's a baby. It poops his pants. It should, because it's a baby. But then imagine if I then showed you my 10-year-old. And she's wearing a diaper because she poops her pants. 
and she's still drinking a bottle, you may start to think something is a little strange because that's not a baby. Now imagine if we go and sit down at the dinner table at my house and we go to the kitchen and we bring out dinner for everybody and I sit down at the end of the table. I don't know why you're laughing. It's not even funny yet. And I, and I sit down and, 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 and we bring out on this fancy tray what we're having for dinner that night. Now keep in mind, we're old. Gerald, imagine you came over my house for dinner and I set this in front of you and this is what we have. Please don't post that, Mitzi. <laughs> that would be weird. And then after dinner, after we all drink our bottles, we then go head to the living room for the conversation. This is normally when you have like a cup of coffee or decaf if you got to wake up early. This is when you have like a dessert, like those amazing cookies you made yesterday, Aspen. I ate like four of them. Can you tell? And instead of coffee or Aspen's cookies... I hand you all binkies. And then, as we're sitting around the living room, this is going to make no sense if you're listening on podcast, but, and we're sitting around the living room, and we're sucking our binkies. You're going to be like, this is not normal. And it's not normal. But now that you have that mental picture, even if you want to get rid of it, you have it. I want you to hear what Paul is talking about because he's talking about the same thing with our spiritual nature. Physically, we get that. But spiritually, it's this way. And I want you to hear because this is a major issue in the church. It's still a major issue in the church today and it can be an issue in this church if we don't protect it. We're in chapter three now. Brothers and sisters, so he starts that off. Remember, every time you see that in Scripture, it's talking about men and women of God. I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. Underline that. Infants in Christ. He's saying that you don't live by the Spirit, but you are still worldly. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it yet. Indeed, you are still not ready. Ooh, that's a mic drop right there. When he walks in, he's like, listen, y'all are still babies in Christ. But keep in mind, this was never an issue of salvation, but maturation. This was never an issue of if they were saved or not. He, he dealt with that at the very beginning when he called them brothers and sisters. But he's saying, you have not grown at all since you first got saved. This is a big deal to Paul. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Which is a weird phrase, but he's saying like, you're acting like people whose sole inheritance is just here on earth. Oh, no, no. We have a dual citizenship to the kingdom of heaven as well as, well, us as the United States of America. 
What were the two signs that they were spiritually immature? They were still quarreling amongst each other. They're still fighting. There's still disunity. And it's a big deal to Paul. Now, I want you to understand this. We're almost done. Age does not equal maturity. Some of you work with some people that should be mature by the time that they are whatever age they are. And they may have high IQ, but they have very low EQ. Their emotional intelligence is very low. How do you know this? They take everything so personal. Everything hurts their feelings. They don't know how to process emotions. That's it in the professional setting. You want to work with people like that? If you're like, man, there's nobody at my work that's like that, that means you is that person. There's nobody at my work like that, but I eat my lunch in my cubicle by myself every day. I don't know what's going That means it's you. Now, I don't want you to try out for the real housewives of Hendersonville, but what I'm saying is, is some of you need to lower the drama just a little bit. How, how do we know what this looks like in the church? Some of you are still holding on to a grudge someone in this church of something they did to you a while ago and you don't get past it. You may like, just don't bring it up anymore. But it comes out from time to time. Some of us, you've been walking with God for, what, two decades. And being, being in the word of God every day is still not part of your spiritual habit. It's not a matter of if you're saved or not but you're still an infant. If as soon as you come in and you hear that there's a sermon that's not going to be funny and entertaining and we get deep into scripture and you start zoning out like, "Ah, I don't really care about that, let the words of Paul echo in this room today. You are not ready for solid food. Will you get to heaven? Absolutely. But there has to be a spiritual maturation just like there's a physical maturation. And here's the thing, as ridiculous as it looks that you come over my house and I drink out of this bottle, it also looks ridiculous when you've been with God for a long time and you still aren't invested in the things of God. I want to show you something. I want to take you on a journey. And we're almost done. Back in the early 2000s, and some of you are doing the math just to figure out if I'm old, is when I first started dating my wife. And I would love to tell you it was love at first sight. It's probably more like lust at first sight, <laughs> but still cute, kind of, right? But, but like, this was when, like, I first got a cell phone. Now, some of you are going to laugh. Danielle, you're going to laugh because you're like, what's that? Y'all don't know nothing. You don't know what the sound looks like, a dial-up internet connecting. Sounds like four banshees escaped from hell. That's what it sounds like. Oh, I'm so sorry, Lord. Forgive me. But I got this thing. I want to show it to you. Around this time, called a Palm Pilot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Look at this. Look at this, man. I walk in. It's kind of like the Fonz, man. I walk in and be like, hey, what's up? No big deal. Yeah, I got a stylus. You don't even know what a stylus is, Danielle. I got a stylus. I can play solitaire on this thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. I can play this game called Minesweeper, which was terrible. I don't even know why we played it. You know what I'm talking about? No? Okay. Minesweeper. Then there was this thing, and it changed the game, called text messaging. 
Let me tell you what's great about text messaging. Now you can ask a girl out without having to go face-to-face. -face. We used to have to write a note and then give it to your friend and hope that your friend gave it to her, but we could text each other. Here's the bad part, though, is text costs 11 cents to receive and 7 cents to send per text. They don't tell you that when they hand you the Palm Pilot. I got my cell phone bill, and I was like, Grandma, I need to borrow $300. <laughs> and she did. Palm Pilot, y'all. Now, a few years later, you zoom in on that right there. This phone was unbelievable. You want to know why? It's a camera. So now, Jason, who had a $300 cell phone bill for, tech, for texting my wife, who at the time wasn't my wife, now I can take a picture of her cute little face, and I can even put a pixelated, non-colored version of it right here on the front. So every time I press OK, I see her face. I still remember the picture that was on here. Sepia tone. Some of you don't even know what sepia means. It's like a filter. But I saved the best for last. Check this out. This is a QWERTY keyboard. You know why it's called a QWERTY keyboard? Because those are the first letters in order up here on the corner. Q-W-E-R-T-Y. This is known as a QWERTY keyboard. Some of you, that's all you're going to remember from this sermon. But I could text like grease lightning on here, man. Like send, close it, sepia picture of my wife. Oh, my goodness. I was in love, y'all. Still am. But I want you to imagine for a moment, if you signed up at the local community college for a technology course, right now, you signed up and you paid for it to learn more about technology, right now, 2021, and I said, class, today we're going to learn how to use this phone. What would you say? This dude don't know what he's talking about. How on earth is he the professor of this class? How did he get to where he is because he's still stuck back here? Oh, you see where I'm going? This is what some of us do in the church if we're not careful, is we become stagnant and we stop developing and we allow ourselves to be influenced by the world. And what Paul is talking about, the issue number two, the final thing is talking about spiritual maturity. So I've told you what this doesn't look like. And some of you have been walking with the Lord for a while, but this is an area that you still are taking milk in instead of meat because there's some things that you can't let go. There's some people that you have a deep-rooted issue with. There's some people that when you walked into community groups, you saw them at a table and you said, oh, I'm not going to sit over there because I'm still mad at that person. And what that means is, oh, you can be forgiven by God, but you're more powerful than God because they don't deserve to be forgiven by you. I hope that makes you feel uncomfortable. What does it look like, though? Because now you're like, Jason, we get what it doesn't look like. What does spiritual maturity look like? And I want to end it with this. Spiritual maturity looks like this. Have you ever been around somebody who has been walking with God for a long time? No, I don't mean attending church when it's convenient. I mean walking with God. Oh, I want when somebody attends my funeral to have somebody stand up and say, Jason, 
walked with God. Jason was known by God and known by men by what God did through him. Like, I, I, I want that. I, I want people to forget if I, ha- if I have any sort of things that are awards or accolades. or No, no, no. I want people to say Jason was a man of God. Here's what it looks like. I know men and women that have been walking with God for decades, and here's what spiritual maturity looks like. It's like Jesus sleeping in the bottom of the boat in the middle of the storm. That doesn't mean you're not walking through storms, but it means that you have peace and that you believe that God is in control. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean that it doesn't make you a little nervous. It doesn't even mean that you're completely okay with it, but what it means is is that you know that God is on the throne. I think of my grandfather. My grandfather was a preacher. And I think about the last few years of his life. Hospice care, couldn't do much physically. And he spent his day sitting in a chair, praying for his grandkids, praying for his kids. And he said, you know, my physical body has taken a lot from me. But as long as I have breath, I will use it to pray for my family. Or when someone enters a season where they lose their job, it's saying, I'm going to keep looking for a job, but in the meantime, I know that God is in control. It's when you go to a funeral for someone that you love, someone that this cruel world has kind of taken from you early, and you say, I don't understand it, and I don't like it, but my praises to you will never be wavered. You are on the throne. I am a child of God, and though I may not get it, I will be here. Well, and tell you one last thing. This is me to just pull back the curtains for a minute. Sometimes I say pull back my rib cage and show you my heart. My wife says that's gross. But I want you to see this for a moment because I'm human just like you. There are some days that this is a tough job. And there were some days in the last six months, there were some days in the last month, and I woke up and I told my wife just a couple weeks ago one morning, it's a Monday morning. Monday mornings are always rough for preachers. I told her, I don't want to go in today. I feel like I've given up everything. And all these stiff-necked people do is complain. And I'm not making an impact. And they probably would have been better with someone else. And why am I here? And I don't feel like going. It's just being real. She says, well, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going. Why? It's not being fake. It's being faithful. It's when you say, I don't feel like doing this, but I'm going to do it because not my will, but yours be done. It's the same prayer of Jesus asking God, have this cup be passed from me. I don't want to go to the cross, but if that's what you're asking me to do, then that's what I will do. I'm going to be here because I made a commitment to God that I was going to serve this place faithfully. And even on days I don't feel like it, That's when I'm going to do it. Because why? Because faithfulness has nothing to do with feelings. Faithfulness has to put your purpose over your preference. Let me tell you what spiritual maturity looks like. I give him a hard time a lot, but I want to honor him. Spiritual maturity looks a lot like Gerald and Martha McCormick. If you don't know who they are, let me tell you who they are. 
the people that in their 70s still say, I'm going to follow a pastor that wears skinny jeans. I'm going to allow the pews to be taken out of here and put chairs in. I don't care what color the wall is. I'm going to walk through the nursery. And when there's dozens and dozens of kids lifting up the word of God, that's our purpose. And I'm going to take my preference and put it aside. Not being serious. I give you a hard time, but I honor you. You know I do. That's what spiritual maturity looks like. Is Gerald perfect? Martha, is Gerald perfect? <laughs> Gerald, she didn't even say no. She just smiles and now, Martha, keep your hands to yourself, please. Keep your hands to yourself. Service is over. That's our goal. So as we unpack scripture over the next couple of weeks, I want you to dwell on that. I want you to go back and read the first five chapters of 1 Corinthians. And now understand that this is what the church is facing. We cannot allow ourselves to be influenced by the world and accept those things in this place. We can't allow disunity to be in this place. You cannot allow men and women to be lifted up higher than others like they're celebrities. We have, we have, we have to lean in to spiritual maturity and development over time. And I'm asking audaciously the men of this church, lean in to developing spiritual maturity and be the leaders of your house the way that God intended it. Oh, I can't do that because I'm not perfect. Trust me, your family knows you're not perfect. Oh, I can't do that because I've let God down. Oh, listen, you never held him up to begin with. Lean into it. Would you stand with me, please? So what we're going to do is we're going to close out in prayer and then we're going to sing one more song together as a body of believers. And then we'll be out of here. I want to tell you this. I'm just incredibly passionate about the Word of God, in case you can't tell. And I want you to be too. So the purpose of this is to equip you for the work of the saints. It's not to be entertained. It's not to get out of jail free card. It's to equip you. I heard a preacher one time say, God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to keep you that way. That's what we need to lean into. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for each man and woman within the sound of my voice, God. I thank you, God, that you indeed choose the foolish things to shame the wise, God. My life's a shining example of it, Lord. I thank you for the men and women that are in this room uh, and that you made them on purpose. And no matter how far away they are, even from you right now, you call them by name. I thank you for your word. That's the living word of God and that it can still be applied to us no matter what season we're in, God. So now just as we have a moment, what I want to do is I'm just going to be silent for a while before we sing. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to have the same prayers, King David, where you say, search my heart. Examine your heart. If there's things in your heart that you've been holding on to, now's the time that you let them go. Now's the time that you have a one-on-one -on -one real conversation with God. And don't forget that in the back of your chairs, there are cards. Fill that out. Drop it off out, out in the lobby. If there's any decision that's made, if there's any prayer you need, and we'll be happy to pray with you on that. Lord, I pray for them, God. I just pray that you give them the strength. I pray for the men of this church, God, that you give us courage to lead our families and to lean into being spiritually mature 
believers, God. I thank you, God, that you never gave up on us, even when we give up on ourselves. Lord, I love you. I praise you. And I would do anything for you and all God's people said, amen. Let's God spoke to you in any way during the course of this message, we want to hear about it. Reach out to us at centerpointtn.com. You can partner with us. You can send us a message. We'd love to connect with you.